Good morning. Uh, I'm wondering, you don't have to shout it out, but I'm wondering if you can remember a sentence that was spoken to you probably at a younger age that had huge impact on your life for good or for ill. Two, two come to my mind for me very powerfully. Um, one, when I was in fourth grade, I was in a music class and everyone was told they were going to have to sing a solo and it came to me and I said to the teacher, I, I can't sing. And she said, that's ridiculous, everyone can sing. So she made me stand up and sing a solo. And when I sat down, she said, you're right. You can't sing. Don't, don't come and pray for me afterwards. I've worked it through, all right? <clears throat> uh, that was 1974, not that I remember exactly the time, day, or... 20 years later, 1994, I'm in seminary, and I'm in my first homiletics class, which is where you learn how to deliver sermons. And I had to get all dressed up in the, you know, the blue suit and bring in my VHS uh, tape so that they could record me, and then the professor would go over the recording with each of us to tell us, I mean, horrifying, as you might imagine. And I walked into that little booth, and Dr. Larson, I sat down, Dr. Larson said, you're a preacher. Just like that. I mean, those, those words, those two sentences, one for powerful pain and one for powerful good and encouragement, have stuck with me. Because why? Because there's huge power in our words. There's huge power in our words. Last week, um, from the end of James chapter 2, I, I ended the message with a question, what will you do with your favor? What will you do with the grace that God's given you? What, uh, meant that question meant to motivate action based from God's grace that would do good deeds and show mercy to the world. This morning, I want to ask one question. I'll probably ask it over and over again, and I'm going to ask you to keep this question, if you can picture it, right on the edge of your soul. However it is you perceive your soul, put this question right there so everything you hear and consider goes through this question. What will I do with my power? What will I do with my power? Let's pray. God, thank you. You have given us grace. Jesus, you have redeemed us. You've uh, called us to yourself. You've said that we bear the very image of the Father. That we bear the image of God. That we're valuable and, and God, you've empowered us with speech, with words, with minds, hearts, and souls to powerfully impact people. I ask, Lord, that you'll teach us this day how to do that with grace and bring heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. So what will you do with your power? Will you hold your power? Will you use your power to hurt? Will you use your power to heal? Will you use your power to scorch earth or bring heaven? Sounds dramatic, right? But I think that's how dramatic James is. So if you've got a Bible, open it up in any way you have it. James chapter 3. I will not read every verse of James chapter 3, but I will comment on every verse in James chapter 3. So keep your Bible there and present <clears throat> so you know what we're, what we're talking about. We have an incredible God-given devil-challenged power 
in our minds and our, in our hearts that uh, uh, loosed into the world by the power of the tongue. And what we say has real and significant impact on earth and heaven. So, remembering this question, what will I do with my power? Let's look at James chapter 3. Verse 1, James says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Let's just stop there. I mean, just have to be honest. That verse for someone who makes their living spending a lot of time standing in front of people or sitting and expecting to give guidance scares the bejeebers out of me. It was Adam, KG Adam, who I think got himself out of this passage. It's interesting that those two powerful words I, you know, th- for my life that I shared with you were both from teachers. I mean, we're all teachers in some ways, but th- this, is, this is powerful. Now, this whole chapter, the commentators would say, is probably addressed to teachers in the church or would-be teachers because to be seen as a teacher in the early church was it's a symbol of, you know, authority and power and status. But this... Um, this whole book is written to the churches dispersed, so every single follower of Jesus gets to take this um, exhortation about teaching. His implication, no one keeps their tongue perfectly. That actually makes me feel good. Okay, we all stumble. We all stumble in the way that we speak. Sometimes we stumble with our boasting. Sometimes we stumble with our exaggeration or our minimizing. Sometimes we stumble with our criticism or our gossip or our slander or our flattery, insincere words that we put out there because we want something. Don't take condemnation from that. I'm just saying, here we all are in the same boat. No one keeps their tongue perfectly, according to James. So you say, praise God, I'm, I'm a normal human. The tongue is inherently powerful, and we need God. We need the wisdom of God to to keep our tongue and to use it for good and not for ill. I will give you a secret, and I don't want you to stare at me or anything when, you know, but, uh, well, I guess you are staring at me. (laughs) I I don't know when it started, but I, I, I just got this habit in the last couple of years. If I'm going to speak on a Sunday morning sometime in the middle of worship, the Holy Spirit will remind me, and I will just very calmly just make the sign of the cross on my head and the sign of the cross on my lips and the sign of the cross on my heart and the sign of the cross on each of my hands. And I, I think the Lord gave me that as, as a liturgical gift just so that I can be conscious as I get up to stand up and share. I want the Word of God and the living Word, Jesus, to, to be the, the gateway through which everything in my mind is, is, uh, is drawn. Everything that comes from my mouth, anything that's resident in my heart and on the, of the actions. So it's not just for pastors. You're allowed to do it yourself. Just a reminder that we have power in this capacity to speak. And we want the Word of God, the Scriptures, and the living Word of God, Jesus himself, to monitor every word that comes in and goes out. James chapter 3 
um, now three to eight. I'm not going to read through all this. I think it would just about take someone down if I read through the whole thing. But let me just give you a synopsis. James goes on to talk about the tongue like bits in the mouth, in the mouth of a horse. He talks about the tongue like a rudder on a ship. Tiny things that are so powerful that they steer either control or bring problems to larger vessels. He talks about the tongue like a, a spark that starts a fire. And then it's like James is really on a roll. He says, it's a world of evil, corrupting the body and destroying life, set on fire by hell itself. James does not mess around. He's saying, you've got the power of life and death resident right here. And what you speak can bring, I mean, that's the way I was thinking of it. It can scorch the earth or it can bring heaven. That's the power that God's given us. It makes you wonder, like, what was God thinking, right? To give us this power to, to, to mold, to form or to deform with our words. But God has put this power in us. He's put it in our body. God's put this power in your, in your body. I think of this power of the tongue. It's mediated by our soul. It's informed by our spirit. And it's guided and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So we've got the power of heaven right here. If we'll use it under heaven's guidance. I sometimes wonder if we realize what we have. This is, I'm, I'm not make, this is not a political statement. This is not a social or cultural statement. Don't condemn me or be mad at me. But I remember the first time I shot a handgun. It's, been, it's not very rare. I don't own one. But I remember taking my, my boys in to, to shoot one time. And, and they put this, I don't know what it was, probably 357 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, something like that. And I just remember, you know, like this. And then I shoot this thing, and there was a surge of adrenaline and fear at the same time. I mean, I, I just, if you've ever done something like that, you, you don't realize what you have when you're holding a weapon like that. We don't realize what we have with this weapon that we walk around with. It's powerful for ill and for good. That's what he's saying in those eight verses. To verse 9. James says, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. So out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. I wonder, as I was reading this, I was wondering, man, James must have been scorched by someone, you know? Remember, James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. James was no, uh, was very familiar with criticism, with challenge, with difficulty, with conflict within the church. As you read this, do you kind of feel James like, I mean, he's just given it out good. Um, I mean, it's, it's a message of encouragement, but a deep message of exhortation hey, we've, we have this power in our mouth to bless the God who created us. And we sometimes will use it to curse the people may, God made in his own image. 
And I just just wondering, like, what's the cursing in the in God's image? What's what's the point he's trying to make? I mean, I think it's clear, but I'll just say it again. I think what James is saying is we rightly give worship to God because he's a perfect he, he's a perfect being. Every one of us came from him. We could not breathe without his breath in our lungs. And at the same time, we will use this tongue and this breath and these lungs, and we will look to the one created in the image of God and demean them and denounce them. To curse means to denounce or to demoralize or to wish harm upon or to desire ill with the words that you use. And I'm, I'm, we've all experienced it, and my guess is we've all at some point done it. You know, you say something, you think, oh, I wish I could take that one back. When our kids were small, we were trying to teach about, you know, the, the power of words. And, um, and so I, I, think, I remember Sarah and Benjamin being there anyway. And we, we gave them each a little, piece of to, a little tube of toothpaste and some paper, and we said, now squirt out all that toothpaste. So they squirted it all out. I mean, they were having a great time. It's probably still toothpaste somewhere in the world because of, of that day. And then we said, okay, great. Now put it all back in. You know, and they're like, oh, what do I do? The point we're making is it's so easy to let the words out, but so hard to take them back. So hard to, to get them back in. You make a mess, and it's hard to clean up. Doesn't mean you can't. God forgives, but to recognize the power that we have is important. Here's the point. We have this power to bring blessing or to bring curse. What would it look like for us to speak to every person as if they were Jesus himself? I mean, isn't that when Jesus says, hey, when you, when you give to the poor, you're giving to me? Isn't, isn't it scriptural that every single one of us is created in the image of God? Trick question here. Is it just the Christians that are created in the image of God? Or is that terrible person that's looming large in your brain and mind right now also created in the image of God? And James is just dealing straight. Would you really want to take this and bless him and curse the one he made in his own image? And the answer is no. James is pretty clear what the Holy Spirit, who did inspire the book, thinks about this type of cursing with our words. He just says, brothers and sisters, this should not be. I'm sure that I've told you before that when I went to a, a Benedictine Abbey a couple of years ago and I watched all these monks come in seven times a day to prayer. And as they met at the end of the at the at the edge of the sanctuary, they would bow to one another. It was a beautiful picture, just these monks, long flowing robes. I so much want to be a monk. Long flowing robes. <clears throat> I just want to wear a dress. Maybe that's what the problem is. Edit that. They would bow to one another. And I and I, I so I just asked the logical question, hey, what do you why do you bow? And one of the brothers just said, We're bowing to Jesus within each one of us. So I don't just see you as there's Barb. I see no, there's Barb encasing Jesus. And so they would bow. I mean it was it's is deeply humbling. What would it be like if we were to walk through the world with believers and unbelievers and with our words our hearts, heck, maybe with our bodies, bow to one another 
Because the image of God is encased in that human. Imperfect, frustrating, etc., etc., but nevertheless the image of Almighty God. Would people be changed if we changed the way we interacted with them? I think the scripture says we have that much power. Proverbs 18 says, The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Again, it gives me the heebie-jeebies. But, I mean, just a little bit of a, like, just give you a little pause. <laughs> the tongue can bring death or life. Let me just throw this one out. I mean, I'm talking all about the words we use for others. Let's be honest. There are some of us here, some of, them, some of us might be raising their hands right now, who use words to themselves that they would never, ever say to anyone else out loud or publicly. If you resonate with that, if you know that inner critic, you know that sort of nasty dialogue that can go on inside you, I want to say James is also speaking to us about the words that we use with ourselves. In fact, let's do this if you'll close your eyes, trust me. If you are one that struggles with those bad words toward yourself or about yourself, would you just put your hand on your heart just for a minute? Just put your hand on your heart. I'm going to pray for us. God, we ask right now by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would retrain our minds and our hearts that we might use the power of our own tongue to bless these creatures created in your image. We ask for healing. We ask for insight. We ask for courage and faith to break the habit of speaking condemnation to one who was liberated by the Lord Jesus himself and made in his image. We trust you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I want to encourage you that there, if you take nothing else from the message today but, but a desire to let the Holy Spirit speak to you through you in your own words, um, I think we would be a changed people if we stopped saying some of the things we say to ourselves. I'm owning it and praying that I, too, can let go of that. There's a better way. James chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, in quotes, does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, James the Zinger, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Sheesh. True wisdom is evident in humility and gentleness. In that particular passage, that word that, that, um, that is translated in my translation here, humility, can also speak about gentleness. 
but it's not the type of gentleness that's passive or, or resigning. It's, it's not weak, it's meek. It's the gentleness that knows who you are so that you can give what is due to another and um, be at peace with another. It's really strength under control is what that humility is. Think of Jesus, the power of Jesus and the humility of Jesus. That's what James is talking about. That's where true wisdom is evident, the humility that comes from wisdom. That same word is used um, uh, in other places outside of the Bible for the way that a horse is trained by the bridle. That humility, that sort of power, like the way that, that, that a horse that knows, you know, is, has been trained will be guided by the, the bit in their mouth and the bridle and the little pull here and there. That's what gentleness, humility coming from wisdom looks like in the book of James. Maybe 14, 15 years ago, Jane and I were at a conference in uh, Florida. And um, it, was a, it was a Christian conference, and we were there to, to get some very specific training, but also for discernment. We needed to make a big decision in our lives, and we just, we just needed some help. And um, I went to a, a man. He happened to be an Anglican bishop at the time. His name was Thaddeus Barnum. It's just a flippin' sweet name, right? Bishop Thaddeus Barnum. It's a great name. I, I had met him one other time, and when I saw him, I, I thought, he's been a pastor of a church. He's been over pastors. This, this guy's got some wisdom. So I wanted to go and ask him this question that was kind of burning on my heart, a question of discernment. And I can't tell you the words he said. I, I, don't, I don't even remember the, the gist of what he said. It was probably something like, talk to Jesus, you can trust him or something. But this man was dripping with humility. Have you ever met someone like that? Someone, you, you, you're just with them. I was, it was like I was in, this sounds like an exaggeration. I know, I told Jane afterwards, I, I said, I think I just met Jesus. That's what it felt like, the humility in this man. I knew some of his past. I knew some of his work in Rwanda. I knew some of the challenges he had in his life. And it was if the heart of Jesus was just leaking onto me from this man. When I read this humility that comes from wisdom, I thought of Thaddeus Barnum. And you know, you know what I thought? That man has been with Jesus. He was, he was intelligent. You know, he had status. But more than anything, he had been with Jesus. You could tell. And I, I was affected. Thirteen years later, I don't remember the words. I just remember the presence. I think James is saying we can be that in the world the humility that comes from wisdom. There's a, a godly, a heavenly way for us to walk in the world like Jesus did, gentle, humble, cognizant of power, and speaking the truth, and yet in love in such a way that people are transformed for the good. Where, wherever, wherever we go, we have the possibility of seeing people transformed for the good by the words that Jesus speaks through us to other people. So we got to go down the hill a little bit further before we get to the fun part at the very, very end. You think, well, what would cause us to speak curses or ill will? Why would we, you know, adopted by God, filled with the Holy Spirit, all this power for good, 
why would we choose to speak ill or to curse someone who is created in God's image? Survey says, selfish ambition and envy, in case you were wondering. Selfish ambition and bitter envy. These are the desire that we sometimes feel to lift ourselves up at the expense of others. Envy, to want what another has. The passion to contend against another. The desire to dominate. I mean, no matter what your personality, you know that feeling sometime in your life is just, I want to be in control, I want to win. I have a need to dominate. That's what James is saying gets in the way of the beautiful power of this speech and turns all of a sudden into demonic fires from hell coming out of our mouth. The very opposite of humility that comes from wisdom. James is saying this is a person who has a critical, contentious, fight-provoking manner. And I immediately want to say, you know some people out there like that? Because I would never think a thought like that. I think the reality is we can find that in, in each of us in some way, shape, or form. And the result of that selfish ambition and bitter envy, James says, disorder, instability, confusion, and every evil thing. I was reading a, a commentator on this passage uh, this week. His name's James Moffat. He, he wrote a commentary on James 96 years ago. Don't know why I happened to come up with that number, but it was 96 years ago he wrote this commentary. Let me just read to you what he says 96 years ago about bitter jealousy and rivalry. He says, it's a party spirit, selfish ambition, factiousness. Do not pride yourselves on that, on the intensity and harsh zeal which leads to such unscrupulous partisanship, justified as loyalty to the truth. I read that and I thought, oh, he was listening to the midterm election uh, banter. No, 96 years ago. He says religious people, that's us, religious people may be extremely provoking and defeat their own ends by overbearing methods. Right views and sound counsel may lose their effect if expressed by men, I'm assuming he means women too, who are self-seeking partisans or unscrupulous controversialists. I think what he's saying is, <laughs> let's be nice out there. Let's let the love of the gentle Jesus, strength under control, come out of us. Yes, when we're talking about politics. Yes, when we're preaching the truth of what we believe. Yes, when we're encountering someone who is vastly different from us in, in some ideology, some thought process, some strong belief, some social cause or issue. Do we win by spitting venom or do we win by spewing love? And I think Jesus is going to say, love. What is the atmosphere we're called to facilitate wherever we go with our bodies, our souls, our spirits, and our tongues? It's not earthly chaos. It's heaven's order. 
So what does that look like? And you're saying, finally. Verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So now James defines for us what does humility that comes from wisdom look like, feel like in a human. He says, this is what our speech and our actions can look like. I mean, imagine this person. (laughs) Imagine Jesus. That's who he's describing right there. The wisdom that comes from heaven, our words and our deeds, when they come from heaven, pure, absent of any sinful attitude or motive, peace-loving, longing for the shalom, the, the wholeness, the equitable treatment, the care for all people, not just ourselves, considerate, That word could also be translated gentle or fair. It's describing a person who, even when they have the right to execute justice, knows that there's a time to forgive, to extend mercy. That's what that word considerate means. Considerate, we think, oh, you open the door for someone. It's deeper than that. It's, you know what, I know what you deserve, and I'm going to give you God's mercy and grace instead because he gave it to me. The wisdom from heaven is submissive. Who loves that one? Want to get a t-shirt with that on it? The word means easily obeying. Did someone say, oh, Lord? (laughs) Easily obeying, compliant, not stubborn, but willing to engage. Submissive does not mean you become a carpet. Submissive Submissive means you are a human facing another human made in the image of God and you speak to one another and act with one another like image bearers of Jesus. Full of mercy and good fruit. Full of mercy implies no judgment. Willing to treat another the way that they want to be treated. Impartial. Impartial means no variance or ambiguity. In other words, there's, there's crystal clarity about the value of the person in front of you and there's crystal clarity about what you're saying to them. You, you, what you see is what you get. That's impartiality. Here's the description that really stepped on my personal toes. Impartiality describes one who is not looking to discover the faults of another. I'm just going to confess, that one got me. Am I the only one who is sometimes tempted on the news feed to look for the way that that person that really gets your goat out there in the world has fallen or failed or been defeated? You're saying, yes, I am the only one? Okay. What is that in us? I mean, what is that in me? It's, It's selfish ambition and envy. It's the desire for someone to be down so I can be up. It's this unrighteous anger 
impartial. Jesus, teach us to not look to discover the fault of another, but to lift up the joy and the, the health of another. Finally, sincere, which means undisguised and without hypocrisy. This wisdom does not pretend to be something or someone they're not. In other words, the wise person walking like Jesus walks without a mask in the world. You know what that feels like? I mean, sometimes to, to, to have that sense of confidence in Jesus in you, to walk out into the world and just be who you are, loved by God and loving from the, the love of God, that's wisdom from heaven when we walk like that. So how do I know if my words are releasing heavenly wisdom? Well, there's your checklist. It might not be a bad scripture to memorize in the next week, year, or decade. And this type of speech and action sows peace and reaps righteousness. So I got to the end of my message yesterday thinking, okay, that's it. And, and I, I found myself asking, well, how do we do it? <laughs> like, I want to be that. I don't want to set, I don't want to scorch the earth with sin. I want to bring heaven. How do we do it? And, you know, it's the typical kindergarten answer, right? Sunday school, it's Jesus. We need to learn from Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30, Jesus says to you and to me, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That's the one we follow. Not the harsh taskmaster, but the loving, gentle Savior that says, Come to me, I'll show you how to live well, I'll show you how to suffer well, I'll show you how to love well, I'll show you how to let the Holy Spirit out that God has placed within. So my answer to how do we do this is we seek Jesus. We listen to Jesus. We worship Jesus. We imitate Jesus. We surrender to Jesus. We let Jesus be our path no matter what. I, I heard Mike Bickle say it 20-some years ago, we become what we behold. That has stuck in me. The more we behold Jesus, the more we become like him. When we gather to worship and say wonderful, awesome things about Jesus, when we bless him with our lips, with the, the, the tongues he's given us, we become more like him. When we point out in someone else, oh, I see Jesus in you, and I'm looking at him in you, we, we become more like Jesus. When we lift someone up, we become more like Jesus. When we care for the poor, we become more like Jesus. Matthew 12, 34, Jesus said, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So what that tells me is this speech issue, this what we do with our words, this, this what will I do with my power issue is a heart issue. It's where's my heart with Jesus. Let's stand. Let's pray. God, I, 
I ask that with all those words I just said, God, that you would um, bring your truth and bring your invitations. Lord, I ask that you would inspire us to talk to Jesus, to listen to Jesus in the word and by the spirit, to worship Jesus. God, we ask that heavenly wisdom would begin to leak out of our heart through our lips. God, we ask that the sin-scorched earth would receive through us the rain of heaven. Lord, as we ask this question, what will we do with our power? Would you instruct us? Holy Spirit, would you come right now and speak to us very clearly? Um, I encourage you, if it's okay, just leave your, you know, keep your eyes closed. Just let the Lord speak to you about how he wants to apply this scripture. I wonder if the Lord's calling some of us to uh, a practice week of watching our words. Not anxiety about words, but about but trust. wonder if the Lord would be speaking to some of us to consider the words that we allow into our hearts from the media that we consume as well as the words that flow from our hearts. I know the Holy Spirit is speaking to me more about the words I use to me, from me, so some of us are invited to a, a Holy Spirit mouse scrubbing so that from our own hearts would come acceptance, affirmation, trust, and joy. Maybe some of you realize right now that you've used your power to scorch rather than bless. And maybe the Holy Spirit would speak to you even this morning about someone that you have hurt with your words that, that needs to hear your apology. The picture I get is that there may be someone in a prison that you helped to build with your words and that if you would go back, you get to open those prison doors. Lord, would you show us who's waiting for the power of our blessing? Holy Spirit, if there's any specific attitude or habit or tone or manner or person or situation that you want to point out to us right now, we ask God that you do it so that we would use our power to bring heaven's wisdom to bless the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. If I can ask the ministry team to come forward. And um, any, do we have any other words from this morning that we want to share? If I could just have the ministry team come forward. If the Lord spoke to you in the midst of the message, in the midst of worship, in the midst of that prayer, in your dream last night, and you need to respond to some way, to God in some way, that I'd encourage you, take steps forward and, and talk to someone on the team and just let them bless what God's doing. Maybe there's confession that's required. 
Maybe you want to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to use your power to bless the world. Then come and ask for prayer. Anything else? During worship, um, there was a picture that somebody had that the glory of God was filling the space in here, and he saw each heart. And so it's significant because not everybody had their face up towards God in worship, but we were bowed down in shame and guilt and condemnation. So after the message, the glory of God is still true. And what he said through that person was, I see you. And he took faces in in his hands and he pronounced a blessing. And he said, you are free and you are loved and I see you. So after the message, if there's any sort of condemnation that's rolling around in our hearts, come and let us pray for you because the glory of God is still here and it's still true and he's still pronouncing a blessing over each of us. Thanks, Delina. One more. I forgot a a word that um, Heather gave to me when she first walked, walked in this morning. She said the roof of our building was like a ship and under the ship she saw a rudder. Um, like a big colonial ship with sails. And she felt like the Lord said, as we speak, as we speak, so goes the ship. As we teach, so steers the ship. Speaking truth in love confidently opens our sails to catch wind. Just as the tongue can move the whole body, not speaking can also keep us stuck. What do you need to say that you haven't said? In other words, is there something that needs to be spoken, not taken back, but something that needs to be spoken? And and as you speak that, and the Lord leads you, she said, your own ship may come out of a stalled place. So if you'd like someone to pray, come forward, pray with someone around you. Otherwise, go in peace, encounter the love and the power of God, and give it away to the world.